2: This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro.
3: We're back once again, ready to rock your socks off. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. We love to talk about rock and roll, and we love it when you listen to us do it. My name is Aaron Camaro, and I'm always joined by my rock loving friend, Chris Sinzak. How you doing, brother?
0: I'm doing good. Uh, This is uh, the first of two parts of something we are uh, very excited to share with you all.
3: Yes. You know, we went over and visited Michael Wagner, and everybody that listens to this show knows who that is. We have sung this guy's praises for years. When we first started doing this, it was obvious that we had to find Michael Wagner because we knew he was here in Nashville, and you know we always had such a good rapport with the guy once we met him and got him on the show and we did albums unleash with him on two of the most important albums around and when we found out he was retiring we said we got to get him back one last time if he's not doing interviews anymore we got to have him on the decibel geek one more time yeah
0: and he um you know we he, we had done that producer switch episode where we you know he came up of course uh a couple of times and um Hadn't really approached him, but like he came to us and was like, uh, I want to give my final interview to you guys. And it yeah. was a huge honor. And uh, we actually went out to lunch with him. And, you know, he told us he was going to do Eddie Trunk's show. And then he was going to do our show. And uh, Eddie Trunk's show came out as of the time you're hearing this a couple of weeks ago. And then uh, we went over there and spent a good chunk of the afternoon with him. And he had great stories, and I think we touched on a good number of things that no one's asked him before. So I'm excited to to share it with everybody.
3: So before we get to all that, do you want to take care of our business, or should I go ahead and give the uh, Decibel Geek Podcasting Pro Tip of the Week?
0: Let's go ahead and give the pro tip now, because a lot of people fast-forward through the uh, business.
3: Okay, well, let's give the pro tip of the week. First time, hopefully only time on the Decibel Geek Podcast, and here's your pro tip from Aaron Camaro. If you are using an external recording device, not the kind you hook actual microphones up to, just the kind like you set in the middle of the table and let it rock, those things are great. You can take them anywhere. They're small. They're compact. You can do all kinds of stuff with them. Very versatile, very fun. But what we learned is that if you're using one of them, you can't put your phone by it. So while we're talking to Michael Wagner, we're all sitting on a little round table and we got our phones out. I got you'll hear I've got his discography open on my phone, and we got your listener questions, and so we're we're on site with him at the studio where there is nothing that he can record us with, because otherwise, you know, like in the past, it's pristine when Michael Wagner does it. Exactly. (laughs) But for us foolish people, after all these years of doing this podcast, We're all leaned up on that table, huddled around the Zoom recorder, got our phones out, and you're going to find some electronic feedback on this. Now, it's annoying as hell. I'll give you that. It's bad. But you can still hear everybody. It's kind of in the background a little bit. It comes and goes, and after a little while, it goes away. So we do have some technical issues on this show this week, but nothing too severe. And if you can muscle through it, you're going to enjoy one hell of a conversation with Michael Wagner, I promise.
0: Yeah, I think it's after like the first five or so minutes, it it tends to get better. So uh, hang in there and and enjoy.
3: I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Live and learn.
3: Yeah, go to Wireworld Studio and, you know, can't rely on the master to record us and leave it in our hands and what happens. But like I said, it's going to be amazing and you're going to love it. So... With the Decibel Geek Podcasting Pro Tip out of the way, let's handle our business. And you know us, our favorite thing in the whole entire world is podcast reviews. We like to get them from Apple Podcasts. We like to get them on the Chaser website, and we definitely love those Facebook recommendations. And we've got one right here. It comes to us from Apple Podcasts, and it's a good one because it's got all five stars. It's entitled, 80s Judas Priest Episode. And it goes like this. Love the podcast. You guys have done it again. Just like the 70s Priest episode, the 80s best and worst has reminded me of how awesome this band is. Keep up the good work, guys. You are helping in keeping metal and hard rock alive. Best music podcast out there for sure. P.S., I agree with you guys. There really is no worst when it comes to priest. And that comes to us from Lothar277 on Apple Podcasts from Canada.
0: That's awesome. Lothar, I like the name. That's great.
3: Yeah, very cool. Love that review. If you guys think you can do as good as that one, I dare you to accept this challenge. All you got to do is go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, go to Facebook, leave us a recommendation, or check out Podchaser. While you're there, you're going to find all kinds of cool recommendations to other cool podcasts. You'll find really good details about the podcasts on Podchaser. So any one of those places, we love it.
0: Yep, thanks for sending those in, and uh, keep them coming, and uh, we look forward to getting more. So uh, last bit of business, the Geeks of the Week this
3: week. Our favorite people in the whole world these are the ones they took last week's episode which was a fun one we had a lot of love for that best and worst of judas priest episode we had our good friend mark striegel on there with us and he was invaluable to have with us because he was so into priest when all this stuff was new it was great to have that perspective and it was a good episode i can always tell when we have fun recording it it's going to be good
0: yeah, it was great to have Mark on, and we had a had a blast talking about that discography, and uh, it's going to be interesting to do the best and worst of 90s, Priest, huh?
3: <laughs> Not looking forward to that one as much, and probably going to have a little tougher time finding our third co-host to do it with us. Yeah, for sure. But we can always try it. You never know. As a matter of fact, we were just talking on the last uh, Decibel Geek Friday Night Live, in case you haven't heard, we brought it back last week, and we're doing it again Hopefully you're here in this Friday morning, so that means we're doing it tonight. And yeah. Uh, yeah, join us on Facebook for that. But we were talking to our friends on there about you know what other bands would you like to see us do best and worst on. And we had all kinds of really great uh, recommendations on bands to do, some really good ones. So look forward to busting out more of that. Maybe 90s Priest, we'll push that one back a little bit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they will do it in 2056. yeah
3: but when it comes to 80s priests man everybody loves it and that's why so many people got out there they shared it they retweeted it i'm talking about the main post on our facebook page or on our twitter account i even think we got some instagram going on out there i don't know if we keep track of those as good but we do keep track of the facebook we do keep track of the twitter and the people that share and retweet the episode well man they're the one and onlys our geeks of the week.
0: Geeks of the week this week are Adam Cox, Rock and Run Runyon, Darren Lanou, John Verno, Mark Alden Taylor, Mark and Jerry BS Sessions, Aaron Baker, John Phillips, Brian Harris, Jay Shabluski, Pantheon Podcast, Keith Rockford, Mark Striegel, Sit and Spin with Joe, David Glenn, Mike Parnell, Kristen Schimbeck, Alan Deshaun, Nick Minno, Hakon Bergstad, JJP, Body of the Soul, Daniel Lee, Kevin's on Fire, Ernesto Aguiar, JJ McElhenny, MJ condoleone Jeff Taylor, Focus on Metal, Vet Halen, Lil Willie, A to Z, David Cathy, Scott Crouch, and as always, The, the Mooger, Mooger Fooger. Fooger.
3: That's right, those are our people, our Geeks of the Week. We thank them for sharing the episode and helping us get the word out about what we got going on here at the Decibel Geek Podcast. And what that is, is a whole lot of talk about a whole lot of rock. And we're going to get to it. You guys are going to love this. This man's legendary. This is the final interview he's ever going to do. he chose to do it with us why because Chris and I are awesome and we've got the most kick-ass listeners in the entire world so you guys kick back and enjoy this one it's part one of the final interview with Michael Wagner well first off
0: good to see you Good to see you guys. Yeah. And uh, what have you been filling your time with other than this amazing truck we just saw? That's outside. it.
1: That's it. That's it. I wake up in the morning and I go, what do I have to do today? Nothing. Yeah. Because I don't have to do anything. <laughs> and I very much enjoy it. Yeah. And so, I, and then finally, after a while you come up with, with stuff that you have to do. So I bought this truck. Mm-hmm. And it's going to keep me busy for a while. Yeah,
0: and obviously we're an audio podcast, so you can't see it, but... Uh, This truck that Michael bought is incredibly impressive.
1: Yeah, Yeah. 1952 Ford F1 in Ferrari red. It's it's pretty amazing.
3: And another thing you also can't see is that we are actually recording in Wireworld Studios for maybe the last time something gets recorded in here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I
3: guess it would be the last Uh, thing that gets recorded in here. Well...
1: You know, you brought the recorder. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even have a recorder here anymore. Right. No speakers no anything. A couple of guitars I left. Yeah, yeah I'm and, trying to and
0: that's it. I'm really contemplating buying one of these guitars as long yeah. as as long as I don't get a divorce from doing it.
1: <laughs> but, and all all the others you can still see where the where the cases were. Yeah. But everything else is in New Zealand.
0: Yeah, wow. so a lot of people had asked us, even in private conversations, like, well, what the hell happened to all of his stuff? And, and, and it, I mean, a lot of people think, well, the studio bought it. But no, it was one of the bands you produce bought the studio. Right,
1: it's, uh, the band Black Smoke Trigger from New Zealand, and I did with them, I think it was two years ago yeah. or three yeah. years ago. We did a record together, and they were keen on the studio from the fir- first day on. And... Uh, I think they're pretty well off, so they must it, be. <laughs> so, so they go, "We're going to buy your studio one day." I go, "Sure." Yeah. And then you know, uh, I had that stroke in March last March, and I decided that's it. I'm out. I will not uh, move on with this. And then they said, "So how about the studio?" <laughs> and we, you know, agreed on the price, and then we started packing it up and sending it to New Zealand. Wow. took two and a half months on the boat wow. to get there. But it's there.
3: They're going to open up the they, studio they have, slash Michael Wagner Museum have, in New Zealand. They uh,
1: their own studio, but they're building a new building with a new studio facility in it. Yes. And they're going to reproduce exactly the setup like it was here. Wow. They kind of have to because... The cables have a certain thing. So so they have to set it up the same way and put the holes in the floor. Yeah. You know?
0: Wow. Well, I mean, you know, I, and you're clearly enjoying retirement. Oh, um, I love it. But when, love when you saw all the stuff, you know, getting shipped off, was
1: there a little bit of sadness? Uh no. no? Because I we were so busy packing everything up. You can imagine all this stuff that I've collected over 50 years, basically. Yeah. You know, had to get packed up in cardboard boxes and then into a container. And and that was but a couple of weeks after that, I'm at the house and I go, oh, I'm going to go to the studio and listen to no I'm not I don't have any speakers there
0: anymore. Uh, you, know? you should have kept at least a couple of speakers yeah well
2: I have up front
0: but, yeah, okay.
1: but uh, sometimes when I see like microphones and, and advertisements and I go oh I have one of those no I don't uh. <laughs> you know and, and uh, as you know I pretty much the, the motto was one of each, two of most and three of some right. You yeah. know, and, and There was a lot, I think 270 microphones and and stuff, and it all went. So I finished mentally with that part of my life,
0: you know. I don't know if you've ever been asked this. So, you know, you're from Hamburg originally. um, Grew up there, correct? Uh, No. You did not?
1: I'm from a city called Hupata, which is right next to Solingen, where all the knives and, and, and stuff comes from there. You know, but I when I got drafted to the army when I was nineteen, that they drafted me to Hamburg, which was three hundred fifty oh, miles okay. away from where I grew up, and that made practice with accept very hard. That's one of my questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: That's that's on Wikipedia and I was like, Is that really true? Yes. And um Well what, what what were you, what did you think about military service?
1: Well, you have to go. In Germany, you get drafted, so you have to go. Right. You know, and, and me being the practical guy, you have to go for, I, I think, 12 months? I, I don't know. No, you have to go for 18 months, and then I became a career soldier for 24. But as a normal guy in the army, you make 150 bucks a month. I made 1500 a month. And I got paid off at the end. So okay, go six months longer and, and you know, make a little bit of money. But then I got stuck in Hamburg, I got actually married uh, during that time and, and I, so you know, I moved to Hamburg officially you know, after after But to bring up
0: Hamburg I was thinking, you know, obviously you're well well aware I'm sure that the Beatles got their early start. Oh, really? pl- pl- the playing in Hamburg, yeah. <laughs> Yes, I am. uh, I deserve it. Who's this Beatles?
3: You' talking about? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, playing,
0: playing places like Kaiser Heller and the Indra Club. Did you ever Kaiser Keller? Yeah. Did you ever get to go to any of these? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
1: Even while I was still uh, at the army, we went there. And the other time was with Udo together. Udo came up there, and he got drafted up there as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, we went to the Kaiser Keller. In, in hamburg and, and you know realize damn this is where it all started that's that's why i got kicked out of school you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah cuz from what i read the conditions weren't great and in Hamburg at the time oh, they God. were played there like it, no, it was no, kind of a scene. No. especially
1: not for them in 63 yeah. or 62 you know Yeah
0: So um well th- I don't know if I've ever asked you this before did they, uh, were the were the Beatles a big influence on you, were you Oh absolutely the, yeah, you were Yes
1: uh, I mean uh I was in high school and and I uh, was never really happy there and then when the Beatles came out I go that's what I want to do and and sure enough probably a year later i got kicked out of high school and and but you know i got yeah i want to be like the beatles yeah. and, and, but you have to understand uh, i don't know how it was over here but in in europe People went crazy for them. Yeah. They went crazy. And you couldn't understand. A very normal person, you talk to a normal, and the Beatles came out, and they completely freak out. Yeah. You know? I mean, I was never that bad, but I did like them. Yeah. There was something to that band, that, you know?
0: It seemed like they really changed the whole culture oh, at, the, at the time. completely. Everywhere, yeah. Yeah, just overnight. It was, yeah.
3: So then, did you grow up with Udo? Were you guys little yes. kids together? Yes. Um,
1: we went to school, to, to, what do you call it, elementary school? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from, I got schooled, in Germany now you go to school when you're six years old. Okay. Uh, I got in with seven years because I was in the hospital for 11 months, had some kind of operation, which I can't remember what it was, <laughs> uh, when I was six. So I got to school a year later and I was in class for about a week and then Udo came in because they had just moved from Berlin to uh to where the school was okay and uh, <laughs> and on the first day I uh I sit in class I didn't know him from anybody and he sat like two rows behind me and in the middle of the class all of a sudden there's music starting. It was "Don't Ha Ha" by Casey Jones. I don't know if you even know that. Know the
0: artist. I don't know the song. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and 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 so you imagine that we're sitting in class, that the guy, there's some guy up front talking, and then blaring is this music from two rows behind me, and I turn around and it was Udo, and he had one of those little record, single record players where you push the, the record in uh-huh. and it automatically starts playing on battery. Oh, wow. And that happened in class that happened by itself. You know? So, oh, wow. That's how we met. <laughs> and we were friends from that minute on and, and really close. Yeah. I mean, we would hang every day, you know, uh, grow up, go to dancing school together and, and stuff like that. So, uh Yeah, we were friends all the way. And then later on, when I went to high school, he started working at his dad's company. And uh, uh, so we got separated just a little bit, but we saw each other once in a while. And then later on, when we were like 12, 13... We got together again. And then we were listening to music together. And, you know, we, we did the band together, um, which was called Band X, for lack of a better name, which then turned into, uh, we found the name Accept and then made it Accept. And basically, a couple of weeks later, I got drafted.
3: Ah. So. What was the inspiration for the name Accept?
1: We were looking for a name, obviously, uh-huh. and so we went through all of Udo's vinyl records, and there was a Chicken Shack record that was called Accept. Hmm. And that's where we saw that.
2: Wow,
3: <laughs> I always kind of wondered that. Yeah, yeah,
0: I never, I never knew what it was either. There's other people
1: that wanted that too.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
3: now everybody knows. Let's
0: uh, go a little forward, like so. The the '80s in particular, there was like you know quite a group of producers yourself obviously uh, Bo Hill, Ron Nevison, Bruce Fairbairn, Bob Rock that were like the go to guys Mm -hmm. in that decade Um, what were your relationships like with them back then was there like a healthy rivalry between any of the producers or did you guys were you guys friends and talked or how how did that work back then
1: well I was pretty green when I came over from Germany I I came over the first time in 79 invited by Don Darkin and showed up at his door one morning and going, hey. And he goes, what are you doing here? <laughs> and then uh, uh, deciding in 79, this is where I want to be.
2: Yeah,
1: I came back in 80, uh, got a job at Larrabee Studio uh, on Hollywood Boulevard. And, uh, uh, you know, it was very different from Germany. Yeah. And, you and, uh, I didn't have a green card and and and, and the situation uh, uh was pretty bad at the time financially. So I at the end of late 80s late 1980 I I went back to Germany. Yeah. And Udo um was accept with they were going on tour with uh Apparently, Van Halen at the time, wow. which never came together, but we went on to a Jewish priest instead. Mm-hmm. And I was their sound engineer. Oh, cool. So we were back together in that way. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, you know, so I had a job and so on and so on. And um, when but I always wanted to go to America. That I, ever since I was here, I go, this is the place where I belong and where I can be somebody, and, and, you know. Uh, and uh, uh, Udo and I, we created Double Trouble Productions. Right. That was him and me. Uh-huh. And I saw that, obviously, on a Steve and Mm-hmm. Uh, I go, ah, we're in Germany. Nobody will ever know. Sure, <laughs> sure. So anyway, but we called it Double Troy Productions, and, and and then Udo went back to Accept at the time, and I went to America in 1984. Mm-hmm. So then I took over the company, and uh, but we did Raven, mm-hmm. the awful one, together. Yeah. And... Faithful Breath was another uh, band which you probably heard of every day, right? Oh yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: I have their whole collection. It
1: was uh, it, there was ones with the horn, the Viking, the Vikings, and and but it was real heavy metal. What yeah. was it called? Faithful Breath.
3: Faithful Breath. Yeah, never and, heard of
1: that. And and, uh, and Udo and I we produced that one together. There's there's pictures of that too. And uh, um, then I moved to America and started doing, you know, Don Dawkins' albums. And in 1984, it started with uh, White Lion and Mm -hmm. then Metallica at some point, Poison, uh, all all Mm -hmm. these guys, and, you know, Keel And, and, I mean, there was one record after the next. I, I couldn't even, you know, the telephone wouldn't stop. And the first big record was uh, Dawkins' Under Lock and Key. Most that was amazing. the one that went multiple yeah. platinum, yeah. and ever then, ever since then, the telephone didn't stop ringing. Yeah. So there was not, like, any kind of relationship. I didn't really know any of the other producers. Mm. You know, yeah, I met Bo Hill when he was doing Rat, and, and uh, um, I think I met Ron Nevison... And and Keith Olson mm-hmm. and and all those guys, but that was just hello. And yeah. I don't think it was a competition right. because at that time there was enough to do for everybody.
2: Yeah, because yeah. everybody's getting exploding. So.
0: That was the time. Yeah, there was plenty yeah. of work to go around for everybody. I guess. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I just didn't know because uh, like uh, you know us as fans were like, oh, you know, I like this one that Michael did, and I like this one that Bo Hill did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just thought we like to pit pit bands against each other, but even nerds like Aaron and I, we pit producers against each other. Yep, <laughs> so, yeah. That's it definitely, just, yeah. It's one of those things that comes up in discussion regularly.
3: <laughs> For sure.
2: Yeah,
3: because when I was a kid, I never thought about, you know, the producer of the album. I just listened to the music, heard the band, never really thought any much deeper about it, anything about what it took to make this album or anything like that. I was just listening to it. And then when you get older, I guess just being the kind of guys we are, you You start looking at stuff like that. Well, this album's got this sound to it, and that makes sense, because so does that album, and it was the same guy producing it. And so it opened up a whole new world to me of being able to see, think a little deeper than beyond the music and what makes it that way, Mm -hmm. you know, and what makes me appreciate a lot of these albums.
0: Were there producers that, you know, when you were coming up that you looked up to and wanted to emulate their... Yes,
1: Uh, Roy Thomas Baker was, Mm -hmm. you know, I always did the first four Queen albums, Yeah, and then everything I liked after that, from Journey to Cars and everything, um, he was always my idol. Mm -hmm. And then when Def Leppard came out in ACDC, it was Mott Lying. -Lying, So between the two, they were both very excessive... In different directions. Right. You know, I asked Roy one day, we we need a big room to do the drums in, for the Darken album it was. Mm -hmm. And he goes, rent the Forum. (laughs) And he meant it. That's a very Roy Thomas
0: Baker thing to (laughs) say. Yeah, he
1: goes, you can just rent a mobile truck, drive it in there, and then record on the stage of the Forum. That's a big enough room. Okay. (laughs) Uh, And actually, we ended up... Recording at Royal Recorders with Skit Row, uh-huh. that was his tip, too. He had recorded to power there, and that studio, Royal Recorders, had a uh, convention center right next door. Uh-huh. And that convention center had 120 cars in it. That's where the drums for Skit Roy- <sighs> Row were recorded. Wow. We actually had to tighten it down. It was too big. Wow. <laughs> That's
0: wild. Yeah. It was you know and you worked at you know several studios all over l a um what ones were the ones that stood out as like some of your favorites to work in?
1: well, I worked a lot at Amigo Studios, yeah. which was your Warner Brothers where Eddie did some stuff and and a whole bunch of people where you go, really you know <laughs> uh That was a great studio, and it was a great studio because of the owner, Mm -hmm. uh, Chet Himes, who passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, He was amazing, and I learned so much from that guy, you know, and and stuff where you go, that's how you do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. And then then, uh, uh, he would give me those tips. I would try them. They would work. You know and and I felt at home there, mm-hmm. and then there was like new management came in, and it kind of went a little bit down the drain, you know, and the guy on the first day collected all the gold and platinum albums from all over the studio and put them in his office.
2: Ah, oh. so mm.
1: right there, say no more
2: yeah you know? no.
1: and and uh but the studio was always cool, and you would be recording, and I would be doing White Lion. And you could walk through the control room. You know, there was a door on each side. And all of a sudden, uh, this guy walks in and stops and looks at us and says, what's love got to do with it? And walks out. And we look at each other and it was Ike Turner. You know, and that <laughs> wow. would happen all the time. <laughs> Al Cooper, not Alice, yeah, but Al Cooper. Al Cooper would come in with a black Strat and uh-huh. gave it to Vito. You know, and Vito would go, wow, that's all rusted. What, you know? And, and he goes, yeah, that belonged to Jimi Hendrix. And Vito started shaking oh, wow. Yeah. I would too. We yeah. recorded one one solo with it, I think. Do you uh, remember which solo? No, I uh, forgot. But it was on on uh, uh, the first white line. Fight to survive. No, it was on the first white line album. Oh, okay. so I don't know. Uh, I forgot which one.
0: Yeah, you know,
1: and. Uh, uh, but stuff like that kept happening there, and it was really inspiring.
0: Oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I gotta imagine there's probably quite a few moments where something like that would happen. Yes, you, you, you get or you get starstruck by like, wow, that guy just showed up. Like, yeah, you know, especially Hollywood in the '80s because it yeah. was just everyone was there. At the yeah, time. it really was.
1: Yeah, the three amigos. Community. Remember these guys from the film, the three amigos? Oh yeah, Yeah, yeah. Every every yeah. they were recording their vocals. There. What? Yeah. <laughs>
0: did you get uh, to meet him? Oh yeah. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow.
1: And I did Alice there and, and uh uh um who else? John John was it John Denver? Yeah. Yeah. That guy was recording. And uh what was the trumpet player?
3: Kenny G? No, 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 no he's a no. sax player. Oh uh um
1: Black guy.
0: Bradford Marsalis?
1: Nope. Real.
0: Louis Armstrong? No. Dizzy <laughs> Gillespie? No. Nope. We're not schooled on trumpet players. <laughs> no. Sorry. Well, we, we named the three that we I know. And I ran into him. There was this,
1: this dark hallway, you know. And I ran into him in that hallway. Uh-huh. And, and uh, uh, tons, 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 tons of people. Yeah. That drove up there and, and, and they were recording there. There was three studios. Yeah. yeah so that that's, was a lot of inspiration. That's yeah. cool so that was my favorite place yeah and the the best part about it is i was going to do x the band x mm-hmm. you know and i was looking for studios and i got to amigo and i talked to uh, chet and and he goes well you know we got these two the main rooms that one and that one doesn't have a console in it yeah so we have the consoles which console would you like in the room mm-hmm. And I told them, oh, yeah, I would like the, the MCI console. Uh-huh. We put that in here, so they did. Wow. And then I go, if you would have an SSL, I would even mix here. So they bought an SSL and put it in this tiny, tiny little room, and eventually Metallica got mixed on that one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So there's uh, some history I didn't know there. I thought you worked with X. Yeah. That was one of the first
3: bands. Isn't X like a punk rock band? it was a punk rock
1: band. They were on Elektra, and Elektra wanted me to make them pop.
3: Did
0: you do the their version of Wild Thing?
1: Yes, that was the very first thing. That's in the movie Major League. Yeah, yeah. And then we did the record
3: oh hang on I can tell you I'm
1: not
0: real up on X's catalog. I I know just a few songs of theirs I would have to but that like that but their version of Wild Thing when you hear that compared to their earlier stuff it's like wow this is like almost a different band right but it's a gr- that, but that it makes sense. That was you because it's got that really big sound. Yeah, to Yeah, that was on yeah. that
1: total excess in Redondo Beach. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That's
3: wild. You got X uh, ain't love. Grand. That's the record. it's in between Raven and Striper. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow, you had an interesting, interesting <laughs> year yeah. that year. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, that's right. Yeah. That was in the early eighties, right? Let's see. That would have been five, six. Eighty-five
3: yeah. was the X album. Yeah,
1: that's when that came out. Yeah, yeah, so it was eighty-four. Yeah, yeah, and you know, the the band was an underground punk band. Yeah, and and but the label wanted me to make them successful and wanted me to make them uh, a pop. Yeah, so I did. The band hated it. I before. was
0: going to say, how did the band uh, feel about it? How they the feel
3: about it at the time? Like right off the bat, were they cool with it or let's try it? Or well, they say, what the hell, metal it. guy? Yeah,
1: we just did it, you yeah. know, and, and that's what came out. And I think afterwards they uh, we were not too happy with it, but they had a hit. Yeah. And, and so there was some mm-hmm. money coming in. And and that's never wrong,
0: right? You know? Yeah. Well, and also the John Doe from X is like a—he's a great actor. He's oh, had amazing! Se- had yeah. several great roles, in, especially back in those days. Yeah. I
1: remember, uh, <laughs> funny story, with the A and R guy. I don't want to mention his name at the time for okay. Electra. All right. Uh, you know, we did a cover version of All or Nothing. It was, I think, two minutes and. 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. So I send a cassette of that to the A&R guy, and and he goes, yeah, it's cool, but it's too long. At two minutes and 15 seconds? Well, um, <laughs> so I go, what do you mean? It's two minutes and 15 seconds long. He goes, no, but it says 510 here. No, that's the date. <laughs>
0: A real genius there,
1: and that kind of stuff would would happen like every day. Uh, yeah. Small faces, small,
0: small ball faces, small faces.
1: was the band.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what, what were you? Were you happy with A and R people for the most part, or were there some that just drove you the, up the my wall? My
1: job was to circumvent A <laughs> and Yeah, keep them know? out of the room. Yeah. And and what you would do at the time is okay. Um, we want this song to be the first single. Mm. So you invite the A&R people down to sing background vocals on that song. (laughs) So now Uh, that was their song, and they were involved, and it was the first single.
2: Wow. That's
0: pretty smart.
1: (laughs) And it was always like you would record it, and by the time they left the studio, you already had erased it. You know, when, when <laughs> later on, we're, oh, I can hear you. That's myself. me. Oh, yeah, we can hear you, clearly.
3: <laughs> Is that something you go to them and say, hey, we want you to come do this, or they just yeah. happen to be there and, and head I them off the Just
1: call them up and do it, Beck and Let's go ahead and think that, you guys
3: would be great. <laughs> uh,
1: you do the, what we call the football <clears throat> vocals, yeah. way yeah. you had 20 people, and yeah. it didn't matter.
2: Right. So, yeah.
1: But I'm probably going to get shot about all those secrets but
0: <laughs> uh, you're retired you're, you can enjoy yeah. it. you can uh, say it now but uh, like <clears throat> yeah, that, that's brilliant though because it's like let's go ahead and make them feel loved and right. then get them out of the room yeah, yeah. them <laughs> involved you know
3: that's funny sure yeah and then they got stakes in it because then they can tell their friends hear, you know that song I'm singing on that
1: Singing on that, and I bought sushi that day. <laughs> well, and, and I've heard like
0: I've I, I've uh, like a lot of comedians that I've have done television work and stuff. They'll they'll open up a little bit about behind the scenes stuff. And a lot of and creatives that work in television and movies will say, you know, you go you start with idea A, and then you end up with you know X product. And in that process, you've got all these different people where their specialty is not in the creative. They're in the offices, but they right. want to come down and give their two cents and feel right. like they're important. I assume you dealt with that quite a bit Absolutely. back in the
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I've had people, again, I don't want to name names. I do that when I write the book and I, I passed away, then Tina can sell that book. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> um, I had people coming to rehearsal and go, well, the ending of that song, blah, 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 it should be this and this and this. And then we did the record, and these A&R guys would come down to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, you, you know, had a camera on the other side of the studio window where it was dark. And then you see them trying to hit the groove with their feet, yeah. which was always like, you know. <laughs> on the one and three. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So, and then they, I play that song, and I go, so, you like that new ending better? Oh, Yeah. Feel much better, same ending as before. And oh, they so, have know, no idea. They have no idea. So it's basically just uh, they have to say something, but it, you know, and and, uh, uh, and and then again, there's there's other A&I guys like John Colander that exactly know what they're talking about. Yeah. You know, and where you go, really is, is that's going to happen? And then you do it, and you go, he's right. You know. Yeah.
0: He's a fascinating character. Oh, right? unbelievable! And so I'm so you did probably did several records with yes. him involved, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, um, yeah. I did.
0: Yeah, he's a he was really looked at like a guru back in the day as, as for like yes, knowing how to steer bands in the right direction and stuff. Yeah, but uh, but also seemed like he could be really stern and and difficult when he wanted to.
1: Right, and you know, as a producer. Um, you should probably listen to him. Yeah. You know, because he got into more stuff than you have <coughs> up, up to that point. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, he's done more records than I have. Oh, his, well, yeah, his up resume. Up to that point. His, his but rec- now I don't know anymore. But, you know. Um, he's
0: one of the few people with a resume about as good as yours.
1: Right. Yeah. And and he knows what he's talking about.
0: Yeah. even though, And he does look like Jesus. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Have you ever seen John Colony? Oh, yeah. 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 Well, you know, we're talking about A&R people, you know, or people from the industry putting their two cents in. Now, when you're a a producer and you're working on an album, it's got to be a delicate balance, though, because musicians are known and creatives in general are known to have, you know, ego and insecurity a lot of the time. So they come in with their vision. This is the, you know, especially if it's like a band's first record. You know, this is what we've been playing for two years. This is the way we sound. This is what we're going to do. But you're brought in as a producer to steer them in the right direction. And if you hear something that could make the song better, do you almost have to play psychologist sometimes to just to know how to massage them into, you know, going along with what you want to do?
1: 75% of producing is psychology. Yeah. And the, the I don't say I have to, the the. Uh, recipe for it, but the way I feel is, okay, here's this band. They have a certain style. If they didn't have something that was great, I wouldn't want to work with them. Right. So take what's great and bring that out. Mm. So I would become the fourth, fifth, sixth member of the band and and we would talk about that. We'd go, okay, that song, what if you do this and this there and there and there? And we would go into pre-production. That was a very important thing back then you know we would go uh, for a month Mm -hmm. we would go into a rehearsal room set up so everybody could hear everybody which is sometimes not the case in their rehearsal room right they always hear themselves you know and when they hear the other guitar player they go what is he playing you know so and we would be in a rehearsal room and we'd go over the songs and then record them in a very simple way on a two track or a little cassette machine Mm -hmm. and then uh uh we listen to it and go, "What do you think? Is that better, or is that better And I would go along with what everybody would decide that 's better
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know and 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 sometimes I would never insist on what I said is going to be the law mm-hmm. you know, right. um, but I would always try it out, and I would ask of them to try it out too, so if there 's a part that I thought should be different from what the part that they came up with. Okay, let's try it, mm-hmm. let's record it, and then we listen to it. Yeah. And then let the whole band decide what it should be. Mm-hmm. And that has worked for me fantastically. Yeah. Um, um, in some cases, you have to be a little bit more stern, you know, but I never 100% insisted... That's how it's got to be. Right. And, you know, it, it, time shows. I've not always been right. Mm-hmm. So sometimes their version was the better one. Right.
0: That's a good way of going about it, I would think. Yeah. I mean, it, but then there's other producers, that, <clears throat> Bob Ezrin, that um, will uh, rule with an iron fist. Yeah. And say, nope, This, if you want this to sound good, you're going to do it my way. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess there's something to be said for that as well. Um <laughs> But like the psychology behind it, that's got to be like, like you said, most of the job is just working with people and the relationships you yes. have to deal with.
1: And you have, to, you have to know the people. That's why I said you have to become one of the band members to be friends with those people. You know, sometimes like a guitar player, I would go, can you try this and this? They would try it right away and maybe like it or maybe not like it. But sometimes a guitar player would refuse to try anything that any outside person suggested, mm-hmm. you know, and then you kind of have to like put the seed out, and then three days later he goes, "Oh, I got this part," which is the part that you wanted him to play.
0: <laughs> you make him think it's their idea, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and then and then you finally got it to where you want it anyway. That's smart, you know? but it doesn't matter because the end result is that record, yeah, and right. that. You know, that that, that's what's called
3: in that situation. Everybody's goal is the same, so it's best to get on the same page and Mm -hmm. try to work it out Mm -hmm. as best you can. When you are going into a project, how quick can you tell if it's going to be a good experience or a bad experience before beforehand? Before
1: I go into, um, I used to get the demo first, and I had to like that in order to start anything, and then I went and met met the people. And I had to get along with at least four of the five people or three of the four. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, sometimes there's one guy that's a little different, but he's a great player or a great yeah. singer. Uh, but I had to get along and and it had to be fun. Right. And then we would go into pre-production and and by that time, normally it would come to, to, to the record, yeah. to do the record. But... Um, I don't think there was ever. Well, in the very, very beginning, there was there was something where I said, "Well, to t- take your grandma's money, here is your money back, and you find somebody else." Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah, I was just going to ask if there was anyone where you got into pre-production and you're like, it was, "I can't work it with It was, these guys.
1: but I can't even remember the band anymore. Yeah. or The name of the band, you know, and they never amounted Not to anything. anything anyway. Yeah.
3: Was it just that there were terrible musicians, or? Just- um, hard to be around. It could be anything. Yeah.
1: It could be anything. It could be after you hear the songs, or you go, yeah, we could change those songs, and they would refuse to change them, or, you know, uh, and, and, but uh, it could be anything.
3: Okay.
1: Terrible musicians, uh, you can point out right away, yeah. most of the time, and then, and then you can go, I don't think I have time,
3: you know. So what about when you get to the point where you say, okay, the demo sounds good, now I want to go meet these guys. Do you go meet them at a bar, at their where they live? No, at, at the, the
1: rehearsal room.
3: At the rehearsal yeah. room?
1: Or at my house, or wherever, you know. Has
3: there any ever been any situations where then you realize, you know, think, damn, the music was good, but I can't deal with this shit?
1: I can't remember. I can't remember... Uh, because at that point, if the music is good, you make some, you go, all right, this you know, could be an asshole, but the music is really, really good. It's going to be worth Or it. You, you start working with the asshole and, and you know, it, he became a friend or he, he comes should, around. she became a friend. And, and so uh, um, there's situations where, you know, it's going to be tough. Mm -hmm. to work with, you know. But then again, afterwards, it turns out, wow.
2: Yeah. Big,
1: successful record. Okay. Because I see it that way. Let's say you're a singer, and you stand in front of 25,000 people. Try that once. Right. You know, you're on that stage. You have to be a special character to, to, to do that. Oh, yeah. And then to handle that crowd... Again, there's one more step in that direction. Yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have to have an ego to pull that off. Sure, I mean, there's at least yeah, a little bit. That, that's, yeah. the confidence is most of the challenge with yep. that. Just getting up and doing it.
1: And I couldn't do that. You know, I couldn't. If I have to go up on stage, I, it's like, oh god, you know, in in a little club of of 150 people, you know, I would go. Oh, okay, we're doing this for this band tonight, and everybody has to sing along.
0: Sorry, I did that to you at Rock and Pop, <laughs> having you up on stage. But um, but yeah. Well, so was there? Uh, well, one thing I want to add, and I know there's there's a few that come to mind from past times we've talked to you. Is what were the like some of the musicians that just would floor you with like their ability to knock everything out in one take, like every time you went to.
1: Well, it? one take is is one thing, but yeah. being good, even if you have to play it three or four times, right. you know. Um, Vito. Yeah. That's was the first one. That's definitely the one where where I go, holy Moses, you know. And and uh, uh Steve Stevens. Oh yeah, great book. Nuno. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a whole bunch yeah. more. You know there's a bunch of people that are amazing. Jack's yeah. just recently, my last product that I've done. It's Jacks Hollow, and and she blew my mind. Yeah, you know, she sat down and played that stuff, and go, how do you just play that? You know, mm-hmm. and and uh, same with with her vocals, really, really good. And and after I was really lucky in my career, and there's a whole bunch of those people. Yeah, you know, Alice Cooper being one of them. Sure, oh, yeah. you know, and and and. Uh, a whole bunch, Zach, yeah, and Rachel, and <clears throat> and the other guys on Skeet Road—they're all like, really, "You just played that <laughs> in one take, <day? laughs> you know?" And and uh, uh, so I got lucky in my career and 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 had a whole bunch of those. Do you think the world's ever
0: going to hear from Vito Brada
1: again? No, I don't think so. I wish I wish the world would hear from him again. And I would come out of retirement in a second to work with yeah. Vito. Mm-hmm. And he's pretty much uh, the only guy. We've talked, and, and I've heard his side about it. And I do understand his side about it. And uh, it's just sad, yeah. you know, that such a talent is all of a sudden gone, and, and, you know. But I do understand but he was like one of the very, very top guys.
0: He was one of the few guitarists that it, back in the day that I thought rivaled Eddie Van Halen.
1: Well, there's a few. There's George Lynch. Oh, yeah,
0: I mean, there's others. But you know, and then me, there, yeah.
1: there's, there's other people, and, and uh, Vito was one of them. And when I talked to all of them, they would say, we've played the same stuff that Eddie has played mm-hmm. forever. We just can't play it anymore because Eddie is signed, right? Yeah. So that's when it stopped for them, mm. and they had to come up with something different than hammer-ons and stuff like that.
0: But I mean, with Vito, like something that, there was something so natural about his playing, it right? Was and like, he
1: still made it his he, own.
0: Yeah, but yeah. like, uh, and I, I can only—the only person I can compare it to is Stevie Ray Vaughan. To right. where, yes, the playing is technically sound, but it's the emotion that comes through the playing. It's like you can't. Just replicate that. No. It, it comes from from in here, right? And the way it, when Vito played it was just like just flowed out of him, yeah. And it, that that's very rare to find, yeah, yeah.
1: And on top of that, you know, all of White Line at the time, and and myself, we had the same ideas. We had the same likes you know we like motorcycles and 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 all that kind of stuff so like i said i was one of the bands yeah you know and 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 then at that point you don't stick out you know um and and vito and i we, we talked about the same stuff love cars at the time and and uh so that all counts in there a little bit yeah you know yeah. So if, if if I would have to deal with a guitar player that shoots elephants or something like that, I couldn't do it.
0: You're not you going to work with Ted Nugent anytime soon. Like,
1: I don't think so. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> One of my wives <laughs> uh, was his Ted Nugent's kid's nanny. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so I'll probably know a little bit more about him than you do. <laughs>
0: <Wow>. <laughs> it's all an act, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, he has something going, you know? Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it doesn't necessarily have to agree with me, you know? Oh, sure. Great player, though. I mean, I always always yeah.
3: enjoyed his playing. So.
1: Yeah, he was a great perf- performer and a great player.
3: So you've done a lot of, a lot of producing and mixing. As a producer that's gone through the whole process with the band, has come up with the music, put it all together... Is it hard to hand it off to a different mixer or master? Uh, for me, it would be impossible. Yeah.
1: I, I would really, really know. jeez, no. Because the, the thing is that when you start a project, you work on it a certain way. And you do certain things because you want to do different things or some things in the mix. Yeah, You know, you make that snare sound like that because you want it to sound like that in the mix. Uh, and and if you hand that off, that other person might interpret that completely wrong. Right. You know, and, and then they go, oh, that's, a, that's not a good snare sound. Let's replace it. But you had something in mind, you know. Just think about the Van Halen records. That snare sound. Yeah. When I heard it, I go, Jesus, somebody fucked up bad. You know, and then... The next day, from then on, everybody that came to me, can you get us that Van Halen snare sound? So, you know, (laughs) there's something there. And and, uh, uh, they're probably meant to do that. Yeah. yeah. You know, and and police that snare sound. They're they're meant to do that. Right. But uh, um, I think I rather was involved in the whole project from the first minute to the mastering.
3: Yeah, I can uh, imagine.
1: And and I think most of them, I have. Yeah. You know, I have mixed some records for other people. Right. But there's a, like Metallica, mm-hmm. you know, but that was recorded fantastically. That's yeah. one of the
0: greatest sounding records ever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: to this day it is.
1: And, uh, you know, even other records. and, and But it, it is... Even as a mixer, it's hard at that point to understand what did they mean by that, what did they want to bring across, and why does it sound so weird, Hmm. you know? Did they just mess up? Do I have to fix it, or do I use it and make it a positive thing? That is very hard to
3: decide. Does the producer ever show up and go, hey, this is what we're thinking, is the band there going, bring this up, bring that down, do this, do that... Or is it left completely in your trust
1: I at had, that point? I had more the band show up, yeah. and like in Metallica, and 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 bring their idea aclo- across. You know, uh, I had a couple of situations where the producer showed up, but I think it's only, I think on on uh, Warlock.
2: Yeah, okay.
1: Mm-hmm. I forgot what the name was of the record. Tour Steel, I think it oh, was. That right. sounds right. Yeah. yeah. And and yeah, they, they showed up and then told me how the snare was meant to be and stuff like that. And then you respect that, you mm-hmm. know, because that's the guy who worked from the beginning with that and did that for a certain reason. Yeah.
3: Back in 82, you worked with the Plasmatics mm-hmm. and their album Coup d'etat. Mm-hmm. Wendy O. Williams is known as pretty an outlandish person. Person, character Mm -hmm. in the history of rock. What was it like working with her? Was she as wild and crazy there as the persona, or was she more business in the studio? Well, number
1: one, she's one of the nicest people I knew.
3: Yeah.
1: You know, she passed away, and then she was one of the nicest people I knew. She was one of, and she was a very, very good singer. Yeah. The problem was that she would sing in the control room Mm -hmm. right next to me. And I had to wear earplugs because her voice is so loud that you couldn't be in the same room with it, you know. But she was a nice person. Tried to do her best and did her best yeah. and worked hard. And you know, there was a little bit of craziness, but I think that was more outside of the studio than, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. than than during recording. Hmm. And that okay. was a the Dirk's produced that one, and I was just the engineer on it. Right. I didn't
0: know you worked on that record. Yeah. yeah. Is
1: that the one that had
0: all the Gene Simmons involvement? No. Uh-uh. That was the
1: one before that,
0: wasn't
3: after, it? After, I think. Yeah. Or after was the yeah. tank. This was a pl- Plasmatics album. That was a Wendy O. Williams solo album. Oh, uh, That's what yeah. I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of the Wow album. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I really liked the Plasmatics and Wendy O. Williams.
1: Yeah. And again, you know, ideas. I mean, the videos that they made were like, Really? You know? <laughs> yeah. Driving a school bus through a bunch of TVs and, and you know. Yeah. That was just like, wow, man.
0: That was wild. That's awesome. Did you have, um, so, you know, you were booked pretty solid through that whole decade. And mm. so one project <laughs> right after another. Yeah were there projects that you got approached to do by certain bands that you had to turn down and then you go, oh, wow, now that one went on to multi-platinum success and I couldn't do it because I was doing this other one?
1: Um, for different reasons, yes. Mm-hmm. One of them was Appetite for Destruction. Oh, you were approached to do that? <laughs> yeah, I was approached to mix it. Really? And, oh. and back then, Ellen Niven was the manager mm-hmm. And Alan Niven and Don Darkin and I, we stayed at the same house. So um, Alan Niven was also a manager for Great White. Mm -hmm. And and he asked me if I could do it, and for some reasons I turned it down. You know, that was like quite an expensive (laughs) mistake that I made at the time. The other one was Pearl Jam. Yeah.
3: The 10 album? How good would it have been if Michael Wagner would have produced well, that?
0: One of the listener wow. questions well, was that: Why didn't you do any grunge stuff?
1: That was never really my music. You yeah, know? I mean, I, uh, Raven got close. Yeah, you know, but it was just fast metal. Mm-hmm. And but grunge itself uh, was. Nobody cared about the tuning anymore. They didn't care about amplifiers humming and and the timing was something. And I didn't like that. This
0: wasn't for you. No. Yeah.
1: No. So, uh, and also, if I would have done Pearl Jam and Guns N' Roses...
0: Oh, wow. Uh, Which
1: other producer would have been there in the 80s? I probably would have done it all. Right. You know? Yeah. I guarantee you, whoever did those records... Got a bunch of jobs out of that.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Well Mike so, is it Mike Clink didn't didn't Mike Klink, yeah. although I, I heard several people turn Guns N' Roses down from like Paul Stanley well, was approached after. to well well Paul Stanley was approached to well, I gotta think it was really more slash as the only reason we had Paul Stanley come over is because Stephen Adler is a big Kiss fan. But because so steven was like let's get paul stanley to produce the record paul had never produced anything other than kiss records and paul showed up and he sees these guys that are all just laying around wasted and he's like uh i'm not working with these guys and so i but yeah i can imagine that i mean i mean till that album took off they were like probably the most destructive band on earth at the time you know No. Probably most people around Hollywood didn't think they were going to amount to much because of how dangerous they were.
1: I I never even heard the music up to that point. Really? Uh, Up to the point where I turned it down, I've never heard the music. That might have changed my mind. Yeah. You know, but... We have a
0: pretty unreliable group of guys at that time, you
1: know, and...
3: it's pretty well known that you weren't one to party with the bands you know you were there with a purpose and had work to do well
1: I'm not into drugs I'm absolutely not into alcohol even though through some of the records I would drink with the band never in the studio never at work but we would go out at night and stuff like that uh, in the late 80s or something like that but since 1988 uh I haven't had a drop wow. of alcohol.
0: That's awesome.
1: So, And I'm not, I'm not missing it. Yeah. You know? And I was never, back then, I was never like, oh, I gotta drink
3: something. Right. We would right. just
1: drink because we were hanging out. Yeah, it
3: social was, it drink. Was a yeah. Social yeah. thing, yeah. yeah. What happened in 88? You get drunker than you ever got before? And <laughs> decided to give it <laughs> <Yes>. up? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Ski Roll record. I was gonna say, yeah.
3: which band is it fall First for? Ski Roll
1: <laughs> record. And Johnny came up, Johnny Bon Jovi, and we had Muff Divers. And you know what a muff diver is? No. It's a pitcher of, I think, four or five sorts of alcohol with fruit juice. Oh, so when Lord. you drink it, you don't even realize it's yeah. that. It sneaks up on and you. And I ended up that we recorded at Royal Recorders, and that was, that studio was in a big hotel, the big Playboy Mansion Hotel. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, there was a bathroom, and there was a, uh, a big hole in the wall how you got into the bathroom I never got in because I kept running against the wall oh, right next to it and that's how <laughs> drunk I was and then I kind of thought that's uh, not do it. <laughs> it's like what yeah. am I doing <laughs>
2: yeah. so
3: we're talking about like the 80s it's a big party scene all the time you know you talk about a lot of the bands you work with are known for their hard drug partying days back then, did any of them ever treat you differently because you wouldn't partake in drugs like that? No,
1: no. See, um, my opinion is that when you take drugs or drink alcohol... A lot of alcohol, you're not in control anymore. Right. And I'm a total control freak. Yeah, and you have to be. And you have to be because you're all of a sudden responsible for the life of five people. Right. Or six when you include yourself, Uh you know. So that's a big responsibility. And at least you have to do the best you can to your own ability. Right. You might fuck up anyway, but... At least you, I did the best I could. Yeah. You know, so
2: um,
1: that, to me, I think that has been respected mm-hmm. all the time. Okay. Um, and on the other hand, I've seen where bands, where other producers were in, and they would get in on the partying and stuff like that. They were not as respected, you know. Mm-hmm yeah because now you become to the same uh, drug wise the same level as the band, and they don't trust themselves right that means why should they trust you if you take the same drugs
3: yeah that makes you know? a lot of
1: sense luckily i've never ever 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 taken any cocaine or i hit i'd hit one hit of uh what's it called a joint yeah mm-hmm. one and that was at a little river band concert at, at the Hollywood Bowl wow. and, and that was in must have been in
3: 1980 oh wow and uh that was a requirement to be I there
1: completely <laughs> freaked out wow the girl oh, that really? drove, drove us home I go slow down she was going 20 miles an hour you know and and I, I completely with that one hit. I completely lost it. Wow! So and 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 by now, if I smell it, I throw up. Oh, really? So if you would be smoking anything there, I would throw up. Wow! That that mean meant also that bands that smoked a little dope. That's okay, right? You know, if you're not unlike heroin or something like that that's okay but they had to do it outside take it outside if if it's cold outside that's not that's frowned upon yeah Yeah. so but yes i remember those
0: and and that's why they recorded in wisconsin yeah it's
1: too cold outside
0: so get to work right yeah did you have standing rules like say all right do what you want on your time, but when you're on my time you're you're not bringing crap in here and doing right. stuff.
1: right there yeah. was absolutely no smoking in the studio, yeah, not even in the front in the lounge, yeah, which is weird, but you know uh, especially around technical gear it'll it'll spoil if you yeah. smoke around it right you know and and I mean, I smoked sixty cigarettes a day and and until nineteen eighty four till I got to do striper. Nobody in the band smoked, and the guy, we went to a studio, recorded a single before we did Soldiers, and and the guy who owned the studio was not allowed smoking, and I go... Here's my chance. I, now I guess I quit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One day to the next, I stopped smoking from 60 to zero. Wow. But then <laughs> my hand was not going into the cookie jar. It was the cookie jar. Yeah. You know, so I would like eat candy, crazy, gained a lot of weight. Yeah. And, and I think, when I think about it now, I think it might have been good not to smoke, mm-hmm. you know. No sure. And, and what, 60 Secrets. I started smoking when I was 12.
0: Mm. Wow. You,
1: you could pull them on the... On the On the machines. On yeah. The
0: machine. yeah. yeah. Those are illegal now. Yeah. That's wow. Fine. Well, yeah, well, so yeah, I, I should bring up Striper. I mean, it must have been very professional to work with those guys. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: And, and you know, that was a, Basically, it was a tryout mm. of if we were compatible you know and yes we were and and uh, doing that single what was it the triple tree studios or something like that i forgot where it was mm-hmm. somewhere in la and uh, uh, yeah we did the first single there and then a couple of months later we started on uh, soldiers yeah well, and amigo uh,
0: yeah and then you know, one of the listeners had asked about uh, soldiers under command like what you know we got michael up to do uh, a panel on the making of the record at uh, Rock and Pod a couple years ago, and yeah, he s- just spoke in very glowing terms about the job you did on that and yeah. working with you. We
1: had a good time. And so did you,
0: you? So you enjoyed making that? Oh,
1: one. they were amazing musicians. Yeah, I remember we did. Uh, normally, when you do the drums, you set up all the drums, mm-hmm. and then at the at the end, when you have all the microphones set up, you do one take, and you take that home and, and listen at home. You know, and and I said that to Robert, do one take and we take it home and we start tomorrow. That was at seven o'clock at night. And he goes, No, I want to do my drums tonight. Mm -hmm. He did his drums till seven o'clock in the morning. He did all his takes, and most of them with first takes. Wow, nice. He is a monster drummer. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're all
0: monsters. And, and Michael, you know, he gets credit for the being the singer, but what an amazing lead guitar player that guy is. Yeah. You know.
1: And uh, it was funny. I remember it. we were still doing one song, a few vocals. And I was already in the other studio doing the mix for another band. Mm-hmm and and i think the thing it might have been alice cooper i i'm not sure and then all of a sudden michael comes into that studio goes, can you come over there i can't work with the assistant and i go okay so i go okay i'm going to sit in the back and just watch a little bit and michael is trying to hit that that high note which was impossible to hit mm. you know and and he sings it and the guy goes oh that sucked i go out. You're fired. Oh, wow. You're fired right yeah. now. I don't ever want to see you again. Yeah. And of course, Michael was like tense and, and you know.
3: Sure. I mean, you're I trying something so hard, and then all you got to say is that sucked. That sucked. That's terrible. Let well, me see you do it, you yeah, know?
1: Yeah. And then I sat down, we did it in the next 10 minutes. It was all done. Nice. You know? But that's that's it. You know, that you got to have that relationship yeah. and, and that feeling for it. You never say that suck because you're out of a job right yeah, after that. Sure. You know? So, hey, I've never
0: heard of negative reinforcement really working in no, a situation like no. that. But oh. some,
1: some people do it like that, <laughs> yeah. you know? So I was never a friend of it, but some people do it like Although that.
0: Although I'm sure you've had times where somebody would do a take and you'd be like, it's good, but I think you can do better. And
1: you, push Yeah, but, them but you way. say it like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's always positive, Yeah, you know? That was one of your good takes, so now let's do more of your good takes.
3: But don't say that sucked. (laughs) No, no kidding. that's pretty awful. Hmm. I recently came across a bootleg demo CD that I guess somebody got a hold of and released, and it had a bunch of Ozzy songs on it from the Osmosis Sessions. And I was wondering, were there any songs that you recorded with Ozzy that didn't make it onto the album.
1: Well, I can tell you how it was.
3: Yeah, it
1: was. Um, we did no more tears,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and no more tears was was very successful. Then the record company came to me and said, okay, we want you to produce the next Aussie record. Uh, it wasn't called Osmosis then yet. Yeah. And, and we want you to make it exactly like No More Tears. And as you know, No More Tears had the big snare reverb and oh, the big sounds and record. Yeah, yeah. sounding Love record, it. which basically helped chill it.
0: Yeah, you yeah. know.
1: And so we started doing that. And halfway through, we went into a, a writing break. We had seven songs that we recorded, and I mixed them, kind of rough, most of it. Then the record company came and said, now we want it to sound like Soundgarden. By the way, I, I spoke wrong. I didn't turn down Pearl Jam. I turned down Soundgarden. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um So, uh, but around the same time. Yeah. Might have been the bad Motor Finger record. Maybe. I think that's what yeah. it was. Yeah. Oh, so anyway wow. <laughs> I would have loved to have heard yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, um now we wanted to sound like Soundgarden and I go, Well, oh, you crazy? Sound like Garden wants to sound like Ozzy. you know? Yeah. So uh then i did and if you start something a certain way and you have a certain picture in mind where the rooms are and how big it is You can't just take that off and have a good-sounding record. Right. So I tried it, but I never really liked that mix either. Yeah. And and so they, since we were on the writing break, they gave it to Michael Beinhorn, who did Soundgarden. Mm -hmm. You know, so, and he re-recorded everything.
0: Different players, too, right? Different players. Yeah, Zach uh, wasn't
1: on it anymore, and and it was it was a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. Different tempo, different pitch. Yeah. Like uh, 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 the first, what was it, Perry Mason mm-hmm. was lower, because Ozzy had always were complained, it's so high if I have to sing that live, you know. I go, but it sounds better. So we did it in the high range, yeah. and they did it. We're not as stable against his opinions, well, and, uh,
0: and a lot of his albums after that yeah, were were yeah, tuned lower,
1: which I understand.
0: I mean, I get that that you can't keep hitting those you know stratospheric notes forever, you know. Sure. But I, well, I mean, how, you, I can't. I can imagine your reaction when you heard the final product of that. <laughs> you must have been like, "What the I, hell did I they almost, do to
1: this?" I almost died. Yeah, I almost died. And as I don't know if you know if I ever played it to you, but I had. Both versions, my mixed but not mastered version against the CD that was released here in time, mm-hmm. and we switched you did. it, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and it was just like, really, they released that and not this, mm-hmm. you know?
3: Because your version had like the orchestral stuff in it, right? Was that, that, yeah, 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 we yeah.
0: had a she, saxophone she on the other side. Uh, song, yeah, uh, that's what
3: it is.
1: And and we did a whole fifty-six piece orchestra on amy mm-hmm. which wasn't even on the record later and i don't know i don't know sometimes i don't get those decisions right you know well
0: but, I, I guess in that case it was more sign of the times is like the grunge thing's big now so yes. now we're gonna try to acquiesce to that right
1: and, and I, I don't know what those demos are that you talk well, about i got there
3: what i got here is there's perry mason and then there's a version of Ghost Behind My Eyes that's on it.
1: I don't, I've never recorded that one.
3: All right, and then there's a song called Feel So Good To Be Bad.
1: I never recorded that one either.
3: There's a song called Frustrated, Yes I'm Hated. Nope. Hmm. Say Yeah Yeah.
1: That could be any of me.
0: Yeah.
3: My, my Jekyll the... Doesn't Hide. Nope. So these
0: could have been Michael Beinhorn they could recording. Have could have been. Yeah. The yeah. Bitch Won't Go, My New
3: Rock and Roll and Too Far Gone. I don't think I've even listened to all of those. Yeah, they're they're out there. There, I think I saw them on YouTube. But I was like, I wonder if any of these are Michael Wagner versions of these songs. But I always wanted to ask that. I think the Perry Mason one. is. Yeah,
1: I'm pretty because I remember him playing it for us. Don't read them, but these yeah. are the ones
0: that we did. So yeah, folks listening, be jealous. We're looking wow. at the uh, <laughs> see the original wow.
3: CD. I've never heard those. Okay.
1: Those were all seven of them were done and and mixed to stairway to heaven. I'm joking. Uh, And then the live ones were from the osmos for the the tour. Oh yeah, the no more BS tour. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And this Black Sabbath live was with Black Sabbath where Mm -hmm. Ozzy you know Black Sabbath opened up for Ozzy in, mm-hmm. in California oh, yeah. yeah. and Ozzy came out and did four songs with them. wow and those were the four songs and I have all that on video too because I was in the recording truck and we had a camera on stage recording and, and seeing all, where all the microphones were and stuff like oh that. that's cool wow. <laughs> VHS
3: <laughs> man I want to hear those two songs on there I've never heard before Slow Burn yeah What's the other See, one? The there's enemy? Perry
1: Mason, There's Perry Mason Dry Mix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the changed one.
3: Living with one, the Enemy. Two,
0: three, four, five. I thought six, we six. weren't going to name off song titles now.
3: He started it. Okay, he started it.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I mean, those are the songs that are on.
3: Most of them. Oh, uh, Slowburn's not, I don't think.
1: It's probably called something else.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, because some of that's working titles. Like oh said, well, yeah. Well, the one on YouTube say yeah, yeah. That's that's got to be a yeah, working title. Else, that's not a real song named. title.
1: Old L.A. tonight. Yeah, that's that one's on there. Yeah,
0: I like that song.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So, ah,
0: what could have been. But I really love the your version of See You on the Other grand. Side.
3: <laughs> yeah. I think I've
0: got it in my couch cushions. Yeah. yeah I'll <laughs> see if I can find it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Get
0: the get the lawsuit guitar with it. Yeah, yeah so I, I, I'm guaranteed a divorce if I buy that from you. But the me. thing yeah.
1: is, and I that I'm honest, never has any of that left the studio. Yeah, I might have played it for a couple of people, hmm. but it never has left the studio, and it never will. Yeah, you know. So when wherever they got that, All I right. have no idea. I know that Ozzy released on his best off. He released uh, See You on the Other Side, mm-hmm. yeah, and he called it the demo version. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and uh, uh, and that was your version? That was my version, yeah, that and one's he out said there. that's what Osmosis should, should have sounded like. Yeah. And because he wasn't very happy with the end result of,
3: you know. So, But, but he's Ozzy. He could have said no at any time. Well, maybe.
0: And if, Sharon la- please, if Sharon says please, he can. Please, dear. <laughs> you know, like if Sharon allows it.
1: It was. <laughs> I think it was definitely the record company. Yeah. yeah. You know?
0: Well, they're like, we're funding it, so you're going to do it Same all Same the with they yeah. the
1: remastered uh, No More Tears. Yeah. yeah. And I died when I heard that. Mm. It was Awful. That's
0: gotta, and you know that ha- that's happened with the you know Skid Row stuff. They're they're re-releasing this stuff, but they're brick walling the hell out of it. And that's gotta yeah, drive I, I, you, that's I gotta drive you crazy. Just
1: heard somewhere Sebastian going on about Slave to the Grind got yeah. remastered, yeah. and he's hating
0: it. Oh, he hates yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I haven't even heard it yet, and I won't.
0: Yeah, he did an A-B test with the vinyl through his his home system, and and you can hear the difference. I mean, there's just no dynamics in the new stuff. Right.
1: So all the fuck-ups that have snuck into producing records lately, Mm. they get snuck in when they remaster it, you know, because it, Mm. it, it can only be remastered because those tapes are nowhere to be found.
2: Yeah. When yeah. we did
1: 40 seasons, we wanted to remix some stuff from the first get Row record. The tapes are nowhere to be found.
3: Wow.
0: Where do, what, why do you, you think that is? When you Can
3: record you, something as producer, do you make yourself a copy of the masters and keep them for yourself? Of the forever? master,
1: yeah, yeah, but not of the multi track.
3: Right, okay.
1: Those were 32 track digital and 24 track analog, and, and the analog machine was 15 minutes in the digital machine was thirty minutes. So there was one digital tape and two analog tapes that belonged together. Nowhere to be found.
2: Dang.
0: It's
1: probably the record company that lost them.
0: Yeah. Do you think they just got trashed somewhere?
1: I have no idea. That's if I word. would know That's you crazy. Know. But we were trying to find and get the, all the tapes together. Well, not one song we could get together.
0: Well, and I also yeah. recall a couple of years ago there was, it was Sony or some big music clearinghouse had a giant fire and a whole yeah. lot of original tapes yeah. got got ruined yeah. from that. That yeah. was a heartbreaker. That you could hear be that. Some, that could be the reason for some of that stuff. Yeah, right. That's that was tragic. I
3: guess when you're back then and you're living it, you don't realize you're making history. I mean, that's got to ring true for you, right? You're just working. You're just doing the best you can. You don't yeah. stop and think someday two nerdy rock guys are going to be wanting to hang out with me and I'm trying to retire and want to be talking about all this stuff.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you sit there and mix and you don't realize that record's going to make it in the Library of Congress to preserve that sound, you know? The the one thing that's missing is it's got to go to the moon.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's what the astronauts are listening to while they're flying out there. Right.
0: But I mean that that has uh, like I know it sounds cliche to say soundtrack of our lives, but you truly produce the soundtrack of a lot of people's lives.
1: That's yeah. because I produced so many. But I yeah. mean that
0: that has to be important to you, yeah. you know, to to know that you know that a lot of us coming up as kids, you know, this is this the music we fell in love with, and right. you're a big part of that that thing. Well, thanks, yeah. yeah. So uh, well, we were talking about Skid Row a little bit. Um, Kevin Williams from the In Obscuria podcast. He wanted to know um can you talk about what happened with the United World Rebellion chapter 3 that Skid Row was supposed to put out the the first the album was
1: ZP singing Oh yeah we we did a whole album yeah. and it was during covid mm-hmm. and we did the album in a completely different way than we were used to and the way we should have done it we didn't really do pre-production on it you know we basically just went in and recorded it Mm -hmm. and then and ZP was in was in England and he just came in and here sing on this Mm -hmm. it was it was all not right it was all we shouldn't have done it like that Mm -hmm. so it's all done Mm -hmm. I have that somewhere mixed but not mastered but at The end, Rachel said, you know what, I just want to do some more songs, Mm. at which point I had already retired. Right. So, otherwise I would probably be doing it. Mm -hmm. But, so it got finished, but not finished. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, so I don't, he's got it. They have it all, but I don't know, whatever, the, it's their record, whatever right, yeah. they need to do with it, yeah. you know. And I think it was some good stuff on there. And I'm not sure if they're going to reuse some of the stuff mm-hmm. or even use some of the stuff that we did. Right. I, I don't know what the situation is.
0: I, I know uh, Golden Robot had signed them to put it out but because they put a press release out. I think it was last year saying it's coming out, but it had nothing's happened since then. Right. Yeah. So, but I, it makes sense if Rachel wants to put more songs on it. That right. Maybe they're just waiting that out.
1: Right. And that means now, if they go in now, after all that COVID time, and do new songs, mm-hmm. they're not going to fit with the songs that are on there. They so they will have to write re- a whole new album. Yeah,
0: they'll have to re-record a whole know? bunch of stuff. Yeah. And, Okay, we, we, a lot of people are looking forward like
1: to it. real close friends. Rachel and I, are, he's the first one that got a picture of the truck. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, obviously I'm not doing it anymore. Sure. I, mean, I can't do it anymore because I have no equipment. Yeah, if they show up now, like, you're, you're, right. you're out of luck, I'm sorry. <laughs> I would have to record on the wire. Yeah, yeah.
0: That was one of our favorite memories during our show, was having Rachel over here and you and him going over yeah, the, the stories yeah. from the first that album. Was and yeah.
1: to the day, I have to say, that first Skit Row album, making it, was some of the most fun I've had. Yeah. You know, I've, I always had fun doing records. There's rarely ever, I mean, of like 300 records that I've done, there was maybe like Two mm. where I thought, hmm, I'm not too happy with that one. What are those? No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I had to try. Come on, give yeah. me. A
1: <laughs> and uh
0: Master of Puppets, okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> in one case, in one case the band split up right after the record came out. Oh no. And uh what was the other? Oh, you wouldn't even know the band. From Germany. Oh really? And it was very it was a band where if you could play more than two chords, you got fired from the band. Oh, wow. So, right there, you
0: know. Wow, that sounds like a pleasure to work on. So,
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> Talking about German bands, you got to work with Bonfire. Yes. Did you guys speak German the whole time you were working on it? Mm-hmm. How refreshing was that? Was that great or what? Except for the
1: drummer, he was Bavarian, so.
3: Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, he was just lost the whole time.
1: No, but yeah. <laughs> It was fun. I bet. We we kind of clicked, you know. Especially Klaus, the singer, and the bass player, who's now in in Taiwan. He lives somewhere or somewhere over there, mm-hmm. and and he's a photographer. and And we clicked. We had we had a good time. And on one of them, I did two with them. Yeah. And and on one of them, we had Ken Mary, who was a drummer Amazing in Alice drummer. Cooper for for a while, okay. and then fifth angel you mm-hmm. guys know more know that about thing. that than I do mm-hmm. we had him play the drums
2: mm-hmm. and
1: we send him we send him the, the rough tapes and and he came from Seattle mm-hmm. and on the way here he listened to the rough tapes he got in and played them right away nice. no questions asked Ken Mary is amazing amazing yeah. and,
0: uh, and he's found the fountain of youth because he looks like he's 16 years old to this day
1: yeah, and did he you have it. you heard what he's playing now? uh Oh, he is totally one of those super modern Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, amazing drummer, man. I mean, <laughs> if anybody could do it it was him, you know. Yeah. He was on uh Richie Fishnell. He was uh he was the drummer on that.
0: Uh this Victor our friend Victor Ruiz from Mars Attacks podcast says, uh, "What album did you work on that you thought would be huge and didn't make a dent? And conversely, Which albums were much bigger that you worked on than you expected them to be?
1: Well, the one that didn't make it because of, not because the album wasn't good, but because of political reasons in the record company is Kane Roberts. Mm. That album to me was always like, yes, that's a great record. Kane is an amazing musician, amazing singer, you know, and overall just an amazing guy. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, we did a great album together, and I mixed his next album that Desmond Child I think put. Yeah, in was show. that Saints and Sinners? Yeah, yeah. And and uh, that album I thought should have I mean the uh, the Kane Roberts album mm. should have done really really good. Yeah, it never I mean they kept it down in the label. That's
3: still in why? A, he was perfect for that time. He had the the skills. He had the look. I mean, the girls would have went crazy for him. He'd have been centerfold of every hit parader and Metal Edge out there. Totally.
1: Political stuff.
3: You're the
0: second producer we've talked to that speaks highly of him because we interviewed Desmond, and Desmond went on and on about how great and underrated he is.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, there's no doubt about Desmond. You know, he's like (laughs) one of the top people. And and, uh, uh, so that was the one... That, and then, <laughs> poison. Of course, yeah. would have been the album where I thought, okay, let's get out of here. Yeah, and it it just exploded.
0: Yeah, you know, I think that one shocked everybody. Totally, especially uh, everyone in that scene. Totally. I mean, because they were from what I've I've heard they were a great live
1: band and they were fun. They were fun. They were yeah. a party band and people didn't give a shit about the music yeah. but they had a great time yeah. going to the show and it exploded, you know. So and everybody knows my story about it. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> but the uh although t- you know talk dirty to me there's just something super catchy about that song and yeah I, I think that well, i think that was one most that really, of the
1: songs are very yeah catchy.
0: but that one when when that one hit him that's the one that i discovered him on yeah. when that hit mtv i was like damn this is really catchy yeah. and you can't deny it's just a great party song yeah and that just opened the door for those guys you know yeah,
3: and a lot of bands after
1: them and they meant it i mean all the makeup and all it took some some guts to do all oh, this yeah, lipstick yeah. and yeah. you know and and it but it worked and they meant it they were behind all that you know and 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 They were decent players, they were not like the super players, but they were also not bad. So it all worked out for them.
0: I saw a a comedian, I can't remember which comedian it was, it might have been Bill Burr said, you know, when that Poison first album came out, you know, I I didn't know who the band was, and I jerked off to that album cover for two years. (laughs) And then I found out they were guys, so then it was just about once a month. (laughs)
3: Same thing. I remember getting that on cassette tape when it came out because, same thing, saw the video and was like, That's so much fun, that's awesome. It had elements of like kiss to it that I liked. And my mom saw it and was like, Oh, they're beautiful, I like them, are dudes. And my dad's like, What is he listening to?
0: Oh, my parents were horrified when I brought yeah. that album home, they're like, Those are guys, I was like, Yeah. And then I got into kiss like a year later, and they're like, Well, they look like clowns, but at least they don't look like women. <laughs>